1: sometimes the custom in this community we will be extinguishing a candle on our altar. This one for the Reverend David Petit who passed away last night. David Petit hospital chaplain and formerly a community minister associated with this congregation before he went to our Unitarian Universalist Association to oversee faithfully Ministerial education and credentialing process of so many. He was a beloved colleague, friend, a faithful servant of this movement. We will miss him. Pray for us, David.
2: Good morning and welcome to everyone here today. Thank you for joining us on our live stream service. It's great to have you with us. My name is Allison Jacks. I'm the associate minister here at the church. Today is the official start of the new church year. And today is also the start of our Sunday school program, which our children and youth are right now in virtual classes led by our fabulous team of lead teachers. And so we wish them a very good first class and a year filled with fun and may it be wonder-filled. I have a few thank yous that I'd like to make this morning. First, to our wonderful organist, Reiko O'Dalane, to our accompanist who's just outside the door, Louis Marr on piano, To our four soloists soloists singing, Sarah Cohen, Brielle Marina Nielsen, Ben Rudiak Gould, and Asher Davidson, they will be singing from another room this morning to accommodate the spirit of the city's request to minimize the number of singers in the service. We also want to thank, as always, Jonathan Silk, our AV and sound expert. Eric Shackelford on camera, Joe Chapeau, who's in the church office monitoring our chat and there to help you with any problems so that you can stay connected with us today. You want to make a warm Oh, <laughs> Vanessa just reminded me that Shuli Ong is here too, so we thank her. Yes, special <laughs> special twinkles for Shuli. For um, We wanna make a warm welcome to our intern, Megan McGuire. She is gonna be with us for the coming year and we are thrilled to have her here with us for this opening Sunday. We wanna give thanks to Thomas Brown and Dan Bernard who are helping with us this morning in the functioning of our building and to Judy Payne for the beautiful flowers that decorate our space and to Alex Starr who will be hosting our coffee hour following the service and we hope you'll all join for that. And finally a big thanks to all of you if this is your first time here with us we are thrilled that you're here you can access the order of service found in the live stream feed and joe chapeau has it also posted in the chat if you can find it there and if you join our newsletter it will be emailed out to you ahead of the service so welcome we begin by lighting a candle as we have since the start of our stay-at-home orders in honor of all of you, bringing your spirit into this space until such time that we can be together again. Now rise in spirit and join us in singing our opening hymn number 346, Here We Have Gathered. join me now in the reading of our chalice lighting. The words can be found in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together.
1: Again, if this is your first time, thank you so much for joining us. You can follow along in our order of service. It's available in the description of the video and it's emailed to everyone who gets our newsletter and our weekly electronic newsletter as well. So please look out for a way to sign up to get both. The order of service has links to all kinds of upcoming events, all of which now are available for participation via Zoom or phone if you just want to phone in. And please, please feel free encouraged even, to participate in anything that's of interest to you, any ways to connect. I want to hold up a couple this morning. I want to first remind folks that starting in October, we will have our small group ministries, groups of eight to ten people who meet twice a month for an hour and a half to check in about how their spirit is have a discussion question to go a little bit deeper in our conversations about life, and then sent off into the weeks ahead. Please join, there's information about how to sign up in the order of service. We think you won't regret having done so. Finally, I wanted to let people know that our morning vigils are gonna be starting again on Wednesday, 7.30 to 9 a.m. on the steps on Franklin Street in front of the church. We invite you to join at this real turning point in our history when we have choices to make as individuals and as a country that will have major lasting effects and implications, a time when we cannot afford to be silent. This this week, the vigil proposes to focus on Black Lives Matters, the urgency of the vote, and the remembrance of those who have died at the hands of racist and fascists in recent times. We will be doing this along with others around the country who are doing the same to witness to the pain and to the serious work that we have to do and to remind people, not just ourselves, but all those passing by on their morning commute, that it's time that our values are reflected in the leadership That we choose for this nation this November. There are other programs, wonderful programs, that you'll find that I think will enrich your life, conversations you're probably already having in your lives. Please look for and sign up for all of them. And also just be on the lookout for an email that should arrive in your boxes today, at least for all members of this congregation, about the congregational meeting that we're gonna have on Sunday, October 4th, an informational email should be on your way. And if you have any questions at all, please call the office, please call members of your board. Lots of people can answer questions to make sure you understand it, you can participate. Look out for that email. I believe that's all I wanna call your attention to this morning, welcome again. I invite us then to center ourselves as we do every week in worship at this time, singing our meditation on breathing. The words are in your order of service if you don't know them. You can learn them quickly and we sing them through a few times together, get lost in them a bit. Our song leaders will lead us. Please join.
3: I'll breathe in, I'll breathe I breathe out. Breathe out, I breathe out. Breathe out when I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe
1: out. Love. So join me, if you will, saying the words of our covenant and then singing together our doxology. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another.
4: Recognizing that there is human suffering all over this world, brought about by natural and human-caused catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of four such places of suffering and struggle. Since last July, we have rung our gong to honor the seven children who lost their lives in federal custody in our detention camps. And we let its ringing symbolically stand also for those adults who have lost their lives in those camps, those who remain in such camps, many separated from their families, many now infected by COVID-19 or at great risk of infection. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. This week, 36,233 people died of COVID-19 globally. 4,642 in the United States alone. We hold in our hearts all of these losses, and we hold in our hearts all who continue to risk their lives to provide essential services that we collectively rely on. Those suffering from economic instability due to loss of work, those whose lives are especially vulnerable to the disease, and all whose isolation and struggle through grief and loneliness is harder the longer this pandemic continues. Today, we ring our gong twice more. Once for the people of color here in this congregation and across Unitarian Universalism for whom our beloved community has fallen short. For all who have been made to feel unwelcome For all who have been harmed by microaggressions or unwitting cultural bias. For all those who have borne the brunt of persistent institutional inequity and the sticky habits of white supremacy culture. For the too many beloveds who have left and for those who stay courageously and generously despite it all. May these stories, known and unknown, invite us to do collectively better. May we together move a little closer to the radical invitation of our faith and the promise of beloved community. And we strike our gong one final time this morning for all who are impacted by the wildfires raging across California Oregon, and Washington. Here in the Bay Area where smoke still chokes our air and has reddened our skies, we are reminded with each breath of the devastating impact of these fires. We hold in our hearts, the people who have lost their lives, those facing evacuation, further complicated by the pandemic and all those people who continued to be at risk as these fires burn on. May we keep those we have named and their loved ones in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we ease the tide of suffering this week, howsoever we can. After a week literally darkened by the foreboding effects of a changing climate, the layers of uncertainty feeling as heavy as the smoke that chokes our air, when it can feel like we have nowhere else to go, when the weight of suffering in our collective feels just too heavy to bear, May we come just a little bit more fully into this one present moment. Here, here in our bodies, each with its stories, its aches and its challenges, its innate resilience. Here in the steadiness of our breath, more plainly precious than ever. Here together, in community fiercely resisting disconnection, may we feel one another's presence, even separated physically as we are. May we feel the connective tissue between us, ever present still. Holding close these small gifts of the present, of this moment, May we enter into deeper awareness of all that we carry with us right now. What hints of gratitude or sufficiency? What hard-won hope? What grief or fear? Constriction or reluctance? Each of these a teacher each of these a sign of your aliveness, an expression of your love. Whatever it is that you hold today, may you honor it. May we enter into a time of sacred silence together, knowing that however we show up today, it is enough. I invite you to join me in a moment of shared silence. Spirit of life, mystery beyond our naming, thank you for this day that we are here exactly as we are and exactly as we can be. Thankful for the abundance of this community and the larger webs we are woven into. May the gifts of this moment small as they may be, be a source of grounding as we navigate the challenges facing our communities and the hurdles in our own lives. May it sustain us as we live into how we are called to be in this beautiful and hurting world. May we know that this is enough, may it be so.
1: Imagine, if you will, a political climate that has reached its boiling point—a national conversation, 400 years in the making, shaped by deliberately cruel, cruel slavery and colonization. A conversation whose force is the result of a pressure intensified by centuries of laws, diversions, and social institutions that attempted to block the irrepressible will of individuals arbitrarily singled out by the color of their skin. For your consideration, we present a game show populated by members of a progressive congregation, a game where winning is limited only by the contestant's ability to question their own participation in the racial structure where white fragility is the glitch that can throw them off the path of right relations and come between them and the grand prize of beloved community. A high-stakes game in which one wrong answer can keep them trapped in the broken promise Of the two white zone.
0: It's time for White Jeopardy. I'm your host, Alex. What the heck? Meet your contestants. She's a postal worker whose interests are women's history and hand-to-table kale farming, Tiffany Johnson. Hi! And our returning champion, the CFO of an electric car charging station company, and father of three wonderful rescued pit bulls named Sunny, Whisper, and Panda. Welcome back, Terrence Van Clifton. You know how the game is played, so let's get started. The categories are... A rose is a rose, ancestry, potato tomato, and see something, say something. And remember, the board holds a hidden daily double. Terrence, as the reigning, reigning champion, you go first. All right, uh, I'll take roses uh, rose is a rose for 300. Your new co-worker's name is Saraswati. You want to be friendly, but her name is difficult for you to say. What should you do? Uh, What is shortening her name to Sarah? What the heck? I'm sorry, Terrence. The correct answer is, what is take the time to practice her name and call her Saraswati? Shortening people's names to make them more comfortable for you to say is harmful to the other person's identity. A person's name is a critical part of their sense of self and shortening it sends a message that you don't care enough about that person to learn their name. The board goes to you, Tiffany.
2: I'll take potato-tomato for 100, Alex.
0: 100. A member of your church's People of Color community has experienced a frightening encounter with a police officer. Your church board is meeting to talk with him about the incident. What is the appropriate response?
2: What is putting things into perspective by telling him a personal story about a time I witnessed a white police officer doing a great job de-escalating a problem that involved people of color?
0: What the heck? No, your answer is incorrect. The correct answer is, what is listen to him in a respectful and non-judgmental way and help him identify and connect with the sources of support, including loved ones, the church community, and professional services. Telling an anecdote about a friendly encounter with the police completely invalidates the harmed person's experience and perpetuates the myth that people of color are not systematically targeted for abuse. Back to you, Terrence. Uh, All right, uh, Alex, I'll take uh, Ancestry for 300. Ancestry for 300. What do you call a child born in the US To a non-citizen mother. Uh, What is an anchor baby? What the heck? (laughs) I'm going to have to take away extra points for that one. The correct answer to the question, what do you call a child born in the U.S. to a non-citizen mother is a baby. Just a baby. The term anchor baby diminishes the humanity of the child and the parent by implying that the relationship between them is transactional. Besides, it should be noted that the child must turn 21 years of age before she can even petition for her parent's citizenship, during which time her beloved parent may be deported, making the assumption that giving birth to a person and raising them to adulthood in a hostile environment is some form of scam to ensure against expulsion from the country.
2: Oh, jeez, I, I, I can't believe I didn't think of that till you said it. You know, I'll never use that awful term again. You know, come to think of it, it that term has been taking away the joy I normally feel when I see a baby, a cute little baby, just by making some children seem more legitimate than others. Boy, talk about a stealthy way to promote racialization by otherizing people. What an ugly term. Uh, thanks for clearing that up. You're welcome. Okay, Tiffany.
0: We have time for one more play.
2: If you see something, say something for 500 please, Alex.
0: And you pick today's Daily Double. This is for double points, Tiffany. Take a moment, open your heart, focus. Ready? Yes. In his new book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, Ibram X. Kendi mentions a phrase frequently spoken under the guise of inclusion When in reality, this phrase hampers our ability to see racially, to see racial inequality and distracts us from challenging racist systems and policies, what is this phrase?
2: What is, I don't see color? What
0: the heck? That, that's correct. Congratulations, Tiffany. Not only did you get the Daily Double, you're also today's winner with one correct answer.
2: I've been reading that book. I was one of the people who was using that phrase, thinking that thinking that I was being inclusive. I realize now that my good intentions didn't make that remark any less harmful.
0: Fantastic. Reading the book is a good place to start and taking responsibility is even better. Every journey begins with a single step and it looks like you are on your way. You're all invited back next week to see if Tiffany and some new contestants have done the personal work required to win the grand prize of beloved community formed by actively building right relations within our church. Until next time, I've been Alex What the Heck, and you've been watching White Jeopardy!
1: For your consideration, a world where microaggression meets macro inclusion, where mindless actions are challenged head on by conscious introspection, where harmful habits of thought are confronted with positive, active intent, where the work of dismantling racial barriers becomes a spiritual practice for each individual and each of us becomes a real contender by asking ourselves the questions that will challenge the rules and the construct of the game we are playing, showing us the way out of the two white zone and leading us to a dazzling prize called Beloved Community. And now our morning offering for the works and ministries of this congregation will be both given and gratefully received.
4: Our reading this morning is by a Unitarian Universalist in Sacramento, Jess Reynolds, from a meditation manual entitled Love Like Thunder. It's titled When You Are Weary. Waking up is enough. Putting on shoes before you walk out on the wet leaves that plaster the driveway is enough. It is enough to love one person, one dog, one tree in a neighbor's yard, one 50 cent mug at the thrift store. You turn on the radio in the car. You let a minivan merge into your lane during rush hour. After three weeks of half darkness, you change the light bulb above your desk. It is enough to breathe, to put your face in your cold hands and tell your palms and the empty kitchen that you don't know what else to do. You open the blinds just enough to see if the mail carrier has come today. You turn your head at the sound of a musician on the street corner, their guitar slightly out of tune. You buy bananas at the supermarket, and eat all but one before they turn to mush. It is enough to be here, to drink cold water from the tap, to fall asleep on the couch with a cat in the crook of your knees. It is enough to be alive.
3: My life ran on too fast And I had to take it slowly Just to make the good parts last But when you're born to run It's so hard to just slow down So don't be surprised to see me Back in the bright part of town We'll be back in the hard life again All oh, the doors I closed one time Back in the high again All the eyes that watched us watch Will smile and take us in You used to be the best To make life be life to me And I hope that you're still out there
0: And you're like you used
3: to be
2: We'll have
3: ourselves a time And we'll dance the morning sun Time's coming, and we won't stop till we're done. We'll be back in our life again. All the doors are closed one time, we'll open up again. We'll be back. ¡Suscríbete al canal! ¡Suscríbete
1: Thank you to our musicians. Thank you to our creative team, the skit writing, acting, and production team for their third appearance in worship. It's great to have all of us together. These are strange times, you know, when you put your mask on the pulpit and they just seem to keep getting stranger and harder For some reason, it occurred to me this week that it's sort of like the opposite of the song Dayenu that we sing at the Passover Seder. You know, that that traditional song from the Haggadah where we talk about all the moments of delivery and the miracles that saved us. Each one would have been enough. These days, I feel like We have this string of scourges, of violent murders, of fires, 29 days and counting of unbreathable air, one added on top of another. It would be sufficient to challenge and to upend any life given all the rest that comes into a life, sometimes overwhelming. And I don't know about you, but this Wednesday's Red Skies And the darkness that didn't seem to lift even a little until the end of the day. Well, it felt like doom, like an exclamation point. And then the fires blazed harder, more destructive in Oregon. It would have been sufficient. Any one of those. So for you and me, these days continue to be days in which our routines are upset. Planning is hard, if not impossible where real natural disasters and social and cultural earthquakes shake and open up and expose existing fissures, where the ground beneath us that once we thought stood firm continues to shake and surprise us. Some of it, some of it will make us better when this is all over. All of it, all of it challenges our resilience. And to paraphrase E.B. White, it makes it hard to plan the day. And I'm an optimist. But even if rains come and the fires stop, it may be through June, at least, and maybe further, that we are in this strange, shut-down form of life. And I will be honest, I'm not sure what it means or will take to live through that. And I will be honest, some days I am challenged to know even how to begin. How about you? Do you ever, like in our reading this morning, stand in the kitchen and tell your palms and the empty kitchen that you don't know what else to do? How do we live through a year of this, my friends? Well, I was asking myself this thinking, pacing, through the apartment in part like some caged tiger the other day, wondering what it would be to find some compass to guide me through this storm, through the open waters stormy of this year. And then something came to me, something that I wanted to share. Our nephew who'd come to stay with us when his college shut down freshman year mid-march and stayed until he was allowed back home to India until this august he was in a room and because i couldn't think of an answer i did what i sometimes do when i'm tortured by life's existential questions i clean it feels at least very firm and practical with obvious outcomes so i went in to clean his room and prepare it for an office which we desperately need these days and i Well, my eyes caught something on the wall, something that was there forever, but you know how things sometimes, you stop seeing them when they get too familiar. Well, that was what it was, this image. It it was a lithograph that my parents had given me years ago, done by an artist that they both love. The artist is Thomas Hart Benton. Born in the Midwest. Known for his rounded curving lines and his signature clouds and American themes. He was the leader in the regionalist movement in the U.S. that focused on subjects that were previously not thought worthy of art, often centering contemporary working-class Americans. The piece that I have, it's called Plowing It Under. It's of a man holding an old plow bent over slightly, leaning into the work, the plow being pulled by a mule. It's an image of a man and a mule doing hard work, farmer's work, plowing under last year's crops to make room for this year's new planting, a new season. Well, that caught my imaginative attention. I mean, I'm getting ready for a new planting season. We all are, so I moved in closer. The man in the image, it turns out, is a black man. I'd never come close enough to the piece to see that. And in these days, well, when you have a surprise like that, you wonder, well, what Benton's relationship was with questions of race and racial equity? Whether despite the fact that you love the image, it belongs on your wall. So I did some research and Benton, it turns out, was known somewhat for his progressive views around race and it showed up where it could in his professional life too. According to Smithsonian Magazine, in 1935, he took place part in this widely advertised and publicized exhibition called an, American, an Art Commentary on Lynching that was organized by the NAACP. It was the 30s and 40s. Benton taught African-Americans in his classes, had African-Americans over to dine in his Kansas City home, which was rare and was public in his disdain for racist ideas. In 1940, he said publicly, we in this country put no stock in racial genius. We do not believe that because a man comes from one strain rather than another, he starts with superior equipment. Years ago at the University of Indiana, it turns out students Students there asked that part of a 1933 mural that Benton painted of Indiana history, that it be covered over or taken down because it shows Klansmen dressed in their white robes. And the students protested that it, it was condoning hate, and violence, and racism. Well, they were right to wonder, to ask, but it, it didn't quite take in the fullness of the image or of the history of Indiana. Indeed, the history, the real history, is that in the 1920s, the state of Indiana counted a third of its male members as, as members of the Klan, and male citizens as members of the Klan and half of its state legislature and its governor. And that the Klan that it was taken down as a result of fearless reporting by the Indianapolis Times, for which the paper would win a Pulitzer Prize for Journalism in 1928. And indeed, if you look closely at the mural, the figures from the Klan, a real and honest piece of the state's history, not to be papered over or covered over, lest anyone forget an ominous, important reminder, they stand in the background while in front, is a reporter and a printing press, an homage and a reminder of what brought the Klan down, that in the foreground. Given all this context to Benton's race consciousness and his love of the real people in contemporary times in which he lived, it isn't surprising then that some subjects of Thomas Hart Benton's work were black Americans. The image then just brought up so much immediately for me about the excavation that we are all intentionally doing around our United States history these days, particularly around the treatment of Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Even the image itself of the man at the plow with the mule, it's worthy of this excavation. It echoes other pieces of it. After all, Not long ago, I happened to be listening to a podcast in which the speaker reminded the audience who was listening that the promise to freed slaves in America of 40 acres and a mule, that it was never honored, rescinded even, that there was an intentional choice to keep freed blacks as labored workers. And meanwhile, meanwhile, one million white folks who applied for were granted claim to, yes, stolen native lands at 160 acres a pop. A million of them. Their 45 million descendants, she pointed out, right now reap the power of that accumulated wealth. Perhaps some of us are among them. That, of course, is just one example of U.S. policies steeped in inequity that amount to handouts to white that plant the seeds that result in compounding white wealth while reinforces the disenfranchisement of black Americans. Even just that wealth gap, if we talk about it, contributes to disastrous effects for black and brown and indigenous families. It's playing out right now, right in front of us, isn't it? I mean, after all, it's accumulated wealth that allows you to weather a pandemic when you lose your job without being evicted. It's accumulated wealth that often helps you get a kid through college, that helps you put a down payment on a house, that allows a person to rebuild after a fire even before the insurance payments come in, if they're gonna come in. And not having that cushion, that leg up, has you dangling over life's razor-thin edges, all of them. Or just falling off any one of them until you hit the bottom. Looking at the man at the plow and thinking about all of this reminded me of one thing then about this year that I already know, and you do too, that some of the work Some of the work that will pull and push us through our time together is already right in front of us. Since the horrors and the work of undoing systemic racism is ours to do, what we remember here and this morning we were reminded of in the skit so beautifully was that all that big work, it ties back to intimate places. And personal work we have to do, especially white folk. No matter what happens, today's skit and the others that Don and Mari and Michael and Rochelle have written and their performers like Giante have joined them to perform Those are invitations for us to just begin to see and acknowledge, then regret and change whatever patterns of thinking and acting that we have that do harm. Whether we intended harm or intended in any moment or not, and most of the time we don't intend it, but it's still ours to undo. So that's part of the work that invites us into this year, a kind of North Star to guide us through all that storms around us. But there's more, more that that image of the man at the plow offered me the day I stood transfixed in front of it. I mean, I thought too about the work the man was doing, not just a black man in a hostile world but just as a farmer. I thought about that life that was part of my father's father's early life, a life that is at the whim of weather and rain, that life that can watch a harvest be destroyed when blight or unwanted insects or fire arrives. I thought about how for farmers, Maybe you don't have the luxury of being paralyzed in existential crises at any threshold. How before dawn you have to rise to milk the cows because they won't let you forget that they're waiting. And how each season has its demands that you plow when it's time to plow, that you sow when it's time to sow. That you harvest crops when they're ripe and it's time to bring them in. That you can in summer so you can eat in winter. Help the cow calve when she tells you it is the hour of calving. Each day doing whatever is demanded until the sun sets and then resting and rising to face another day. I like that. It reminded me of how Mother Teresa is famous for saying, You can do no great things, only small things, with great love. And how she did so much in the world, left such an imprint simply by rising day after day to do small things with great love. So I got to thinking that this year, about this year, and how to begin it, and I, I thought of maybe this as a compass and a guide, this idea, this mantra. That when the whole of what is in front of us can feel overwhelming, and it can feel heroic even just to get out of bed, maybe one way through this is just to commit to whatever is in front of us that day. To do it diligently, to do it faithfully, to do it with great love, to do it until the sun sets. To plow this field, just this one, just the one right under our feet, just the one we were given to tend to. To just lean into the plow and do this piece of the work and then trust. And we do have to take it on trust that the harvests will come in and even great things will accrete that way day after day of faithful living. So I'm, I'm taking that mantra, that image, as mine to try on as a way through what promises to be an exciting, important, generative, and complicated, hard year. Before I leave you, though, I have a little more to offer. I did some crowdsourcing of wisdom before this sermon. I asked people on Facebook what mantra they had to get them through these days, lest you be left only with mine. 84 responses came in by the time I hit print, and here are some, but you can read through them all and whatever ones come in after this on my Facebook page. I offer them. Take which one you feel like will hold you and guide you through these days. From a friend whose land and cabin burned in the Napa fires, remember what you had, not what you lost.
4: All will be well. All will be well. And all manner of things shall be well, somehow.
1: Looking up at the night sky.
4: Those who have eyes to see, let them see.
1: Psalm 91.
4: Remembering that we got through hard times before.
1: Remembering what I'm grateful for.
4: Remembering in this moment I am fine.
1: Grounded in the question, what good shall I do this day?
4: Determined to make good of this. Do what you can. This too shall pass.
1: For now, not forever.
4: It's not over till it's over.
1: This is not the end of the world. Or as Mary Gans wrote, In the Bible it says it came to pass. Nowhere does it say it came to stay.
4: November 3rd. I voted today.
1: Saints preserve us.
4: I work for God.
1: We will not give up on love.
4: One day at a time.
1: Keep me sober just for today.
4: Be here now, mostly. It could be worse. Keep moving.
1: No feeling is final.
4: Connection, not perfection. To
1: look for the love, compassion, and kindness in the world and practice it yourself.
4: No need to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. To paraphrase Wendell Berry, not by my will alone is the house carried through the night.
1: And for many of you, it was a song that anchored you Day by day from God's spell, I know this rose will open from our hymn book. But for so, so, so many of you, what you said anchored you, that you sang in your head to ground you, that you sang as you walked through the day sometimes, was our meditation on breathing, or your own version of it. So we'll sing it together to end the service. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out loud. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out Blessings, I love you, here we go. We debated two choices as our closing hymn, and it turns out they're right next to each other in the gray hymnal. One is one more step, which seemed so appropriate. One more step, I'll take one more step. One more prayer, one more song. But right next to it was We Shall Overcome. And I needed to hear We Shall Overcome. So let's sing it together. Comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.